Well, as I said before, uh, starting to wrap up uh, this series, Because It Matters, today um, we get to preach and I get to speak about money. And I love preaching about money. I know you woke up today and you thought to yourself, I hope he preaches on money. Anybody? Uh, How many of you have thought about leaving as soon as you heard that? You you go, okay, money, I don't know about this. Where's it going to go? I I love it, though, because even here at Chapel Point, we love it because we recognize that everything we have is God's. This is part of it. And we are reluctant to speak about money at times because it can mean so much to us. And so because it means so much to us, it's one of those things that we don't address or speak about because if somebody disagrees with us or something that we've done, we can get pretty upset. Right? It's similar like if somebody tells you, if you're a mother or a father, somebody sees how your kids are behaving and they tell you how you should parent better. Has that happened before? Or you just get the look. Right? I remember one of the first times I had all four of my kids, and I was one of the guys. I was like, well, I'm going to take them all. Like, we just had the infant. So we had the seven-year-old, the five-year-old, the three-year-old, and the infant all together. And Melissa was doing something. I don't know what it is, my wife. And I was like, I'm going to take them grocery shopping. You haven't heard the story yet. I got so many looks of judgment. Um, Like One, my oldest was just grabbing anything he wanted and throwing it in the grocery cart. And I have one that's like strapped in, right? Like in their little, you know, because it's an infant on the little top part of the cart. And all of these different things. And it was just a rough trip. But just the looks I got of judgment were astounding to me. Like, that guy's crazy. He's a horrible father. Right? Well, you start looking at someone's kids, and they're like, you don't talk about my kids. Same thing with money. Often we go, wait, you don't speak about how I spend money, or don't judge me, or, or what I'm doing with the money that, that's all mine. We're reluctant to speak about it. Why? Because if we're honest, it's tied so closely to our heart. It's tied so closely to our heart. So I wanted to give you this morning, just, I'm not going to do a lot of this, but I wanted to give you, just spend a few minutes giving you some stats. And we've done our very best looking at every single resource we could to find out the truth and the, the reality of how people are spending their money today and what that looks like. Um, so here's some fun things. You might want to write some of these down, up to you. But uh, this is what it says. Um, of people who attend church Actual tithers is only somewhere between 10% and 25%. People who give 10%. So they make up the bulk of what is being given today. You're going to see that more here in just a moment. Today, Christians give back to the church 2.5% maximum. Some say 2.3% now. used to be 2.7%, but in the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. So in the Great Depression, people gave back to the church 3.3%. Now it's less than it was in the Great Depression, and yet we have more wealth at our disposal than ever before. We're going to have some um, soak-in moments, like where you just, I need to let it soak in. Because here's the reason I don't mind. Let me go ahead and address. I don't mind preaching about money because it's not about money. (laughs) We already know that. It's about your heart. So when, when you, when I don't care where you go, what church you're in, where you're listening from, anything else, when you're hearing someone preach from the scriptures about money, know that they're really preaching about your heart. They're preaching about your heart. But here's something that is 
disturbing to me in the least. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is $17 a week. And yet the average American spends $21.15 a week on Starbucks. Is it soaking in? Thirty. Oh, this one. Oof, oof, oof. Thirty-seven percent of church attenders give nothing. Is it soaking in yet? Of families that made seventy-five thousand dollars a year or more, only one percent of them actually gave a tithe, ten percent or more. One percent. By the way, the average income in 49426, that's where we are right now, is, anybody know, just under $90,000 a year. More and more, it's being separated from the national average. Um, I'm not native to this area, right? Hence the twang and the voice. But what I will tell you is this, I've started looking backwards, and 20 years ago, it was certainly more of a blue-collar area. And then it turned into what I would call a sky blue collar area, right? Nice light blue. And now it's definitely more white collar. It's going more and more that direction. Average family in this zip code, $89,571, I believe it is, a year. And yet we know that only 1% give a tithe of families that earn that percentage or more. Now, we don't know that based on this zip code, but nationally speaking. Then you get even further into the mix. 41% of nearly 2,000 millennials surveyed, 41% of 2,000, and it's millennials just talking about that generation, that age, young adults is what it's talking about, right? Millennials, as you know, uh, if you are one, people give you a bad rap. I don't give you a bad rap because I think if you give a millennial a lot of purpose, they're going to work really hard. Um, if you don't like millennials and you're a parent, look in the mirror. Um, so kids are always a product of typically how they've been raised, right? 41% of them say that they spend more on their coffee every week than they do in their retirement plan. Oh. Four out of five Americans owe more than they own. 40% borrow more than they can actually make monthly payments on. And yet we have more at our disposal than ever before. Why? Because of where our heart is. So it's really not about money. It's about our heart. And we're going to learn that today because here's Jesus. Jesus, uh, he spoke more on his love than any other thing. Second was money. I will say that all the time because I think it's profound for us to recognize if we don't like to hear about money and, and to be able to have the conversation about money, I think it's interesting because Jesus had the conversation all the time. He was always 
addressing it because he knew the value that it was for people, what it meant for their heart and what they did value or what they did not value. First place that we really look at scripturally when it comes to tithing is Genesis chapter 14. you got this guy by the name of Abram, right? He goes with 300 men and he rescues his kinsman Lot. And as a result of that, he gains the spoil of a victory and he doesn't want anything because he doesn't want to take the glory away from God. That's Genesis chapter 14. What you have later on is not only that occurring and that happening, but on the way back home, uh, Melchizedek, he encounters him, which was really scripturally considered the first king and slash first priest that we see combined in scripture. Um, And he calls out to him, and it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that he had. Why? Because it was about gratitude toward God. It was about gratitude toward God. So the first encounter that we have, some people look at the Old Testament, they look at the New Testament, they go, well, um, if you look at tithing, it's actually about the law, and we no no longer live under the law. We need the law, and that's part of our faith, by the way. That's first. But this is even predating the law. You need to recognize that. If you look at the Old Testament, they gave roughly 30% back because they gave to the temple, they gave to priests, they gave to others who were in need. And the New Testament, the rule is very simple. Give everything you have. So if you want to go Old Testament or New Testament, I would suggest you go Old Testament. And so we look at that and we go, well, we can have this conversation because we want to evaluate our heart and where we stand with all of these things. And so here we come and when we look at tithing according to the Old Testament, time of Moses, uh, you look at places, um, the first place that you would see with the law is you're going to look at Leviticus chapter 27 verses 30 through 33. Again, that's Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 through 33. And it made explicit what it was to tithe, namely, namely the, the produce of the field that you're harvesting, the grain, the, the fruit, the herds, the flocks, whatever you had, right? Verse 33 in that passage tells us that we, we need to pick our, our good from our bad and give our very best. That's something that we have to recognize also that you find in Deuteronomy chapter 14, 22 through 29. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29 is that that's one of the biblical traits of giving is that we are to give our first and we are to give our best. Please make sure you have that. One of the things that we look at, we are to give our first and we are to give our best. We do that because we value God, value. You're going to hear words like value, trust, and sacrifice a lot today. We value God more than anything else. Because we value God more than anything else, we give him our very first and we give him our very best. That's something that we want to do. We want to be able to say, wait, you know what? This is important. I speak with my kids about it a good bit. They make money for raking leaves or they do something else and they've earned some money helping someone out. And I say, okay, well, how much are you giving? And go ahead and do that now. Well, why? I don't see you writing a check. Well, we do online payments. The first thing that comes out, the first and the 15th of every month. And this is why, because we want to give our very first and we want to give our best because God is worthy of all of it. Plus, it's all his to begin with. And so we give our first and we give our best. Here's what it is. The way we give is recognizing, tithing is recognizing and submitting to the authority of someone greater. It's recognizing and submitting to the authority of someone greater. Here's a great passage that that illustrates it. It's from the Gospel of Luke. And this is what it says. And I invite you to turn there. Luke 18. I'm going to share a couple of passages in the Gospel of Luke. 
Luke 18, 18 through 25 is first. If you'd like to turn over and find that in the Gospels there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And uh, Luke, who's also the author of Acts, he, he does an amazing job. Just right, It's just phenomenal what God shares through him in this moment. It says the following. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said all of these things I've kept from my youth. Like right then, as soon as I'm speaking to this person, if I've given him any authority in my life at all, and all of a sudden he goes, well, if you've done all these things, you're good. I'm going, yes, booyah, I've done it. That's literally, what it says in Greek is booyah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't really. Um, but I, I, I'm feeling good in that moment. I'm like, okay, I'm doing okay right now. This is good. And Jesus heard this, and he says to him, ah, but one thing you still lack. And right then, there's that, that valve. I'm like, oh, boy, here goes. Right? Sell all that you have and distribute, give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? So here's Jesus. He sees that he is now sad. And he says, yeah, it's difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? It's even easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And he's recognizing this because it wasn't about saying you can't have any of it. What it was, if you look at this, he says, this is what you have. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He knew that the way you valued other things such as wealth could restrict or limit your ability to follow him. And knowing God is all about submitting and following Jesus. And so anything that gets in the way to keep you from saying, I'm all in. I'm all in. It's a problem. So he calls it out. So again, this isn't, just about, this isn't necessarily about the wealth. This is about saying, listen, here's something in your life that you just identified that has too great a priority in your life, probably greater priority than I do. That's a problem because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're saying, you know what, I'm laying it all down on my feet because I know, I'm laying it all down on his feet because I know that every believer in every church, by the way, has a tendency to do this thing called drift or to, to slowly step away from God in time more and more and more. That's why I love for adults, right? When they come to know the Lord, they're usually just, they're just all in, they're like gung-ho. And then after time, they start to be tempered a little bit. And they start to mellow out. And I'm going, no, don't mellow out. Don't mellow out. God gave his son for you. Don't do it. And we've got to build those things so that that doesn't happen in our life. And so often that happens with wealth, right? We know the numbers. I've shared them uh, before. But if you go to the person who earns an average of 50 grand and you say, what do you need to live on? It's basically 80 to 90% every time they will say, hey, if I only had like 90 grand, I'd be perfect. You go to a person who earns 100 grand, they're going to go, if I, if I could earn about 175, it'd be perfect, right? It just keeps going and going and going and going. Why? Because we have that tendency in life. And so here, Jesus is jumping in and he's saying, listen, here's the real issue. You're not going to be able to fully follow me because you actually have a different God. That's why I spoke on idolatry last week. 
So here he is. He's like, man, listen, we got to learn these biblical traits. Here's biblical traits. You give your first, you give your best, but additional biblical traits that you learn when you start reading scripture is that you give with sacrifice and you give with love. Because it's not the, it's not the burden Sacrifice isn't always about, oh, I can't believe I have to do this. Sacrifice is, wow, I can't believe I get to give up this in order to do this because that's more important to me. And so you give with sacrifice and you give with love. You give with passion. And again, part of the reason we struggle so much with this is because part of the reason is because of identity. It becomes our identity. This is what we possess, what we own, how much we have, and we know this. It's always something, I'll, I'll tell you, um, for my wife and I, like, there's, I have such a great marriage. Um, my wife is amazing, and she thinks that I am just flat out fantastic. <laughs> Amen? Silence. Okay, so, <laughs> like, I've never done that before to get her to, like, say something, and that's the reason why. Um <laughs> Like, wow, okay. Um, but the one issue that serves to kind of as a bristle for us is money, actually. Right, we've been married a long time, nearly 20 years. Feels like eight. Um, and I look at it, and that's the one area that always serves as a bristle for us. Like, just like, because we have different views of it sometimes, or we have different things that we want to do with it, and, or we have different amounts that we think we should save versus what we should give away, and um, and it shows heart is actually what it is. It's our hearts are sometimes differing on maybe the value that we've placed on it. That's the reality of it. That's this why I say, guys, churches don't have money problems, right? What do they have? Spiritual problems. And so here we learn, really, this was, this was a matter of he wasn't going to be able to follow Jesus fully because he held too tightly to something else, which means he had another God of greater importance than the only true God. Like when I talk about money, I actually, more often than not, it's something I can cry about, not because it's money, but because it's about a heart. It's a heart issue, and so many people are worshiping something other. They're worshiping something that is temporary. It's about trust. You trust something that's temporary to give you fulfillment. You trust something to give you happiness. You trust something that's going to make your life complete other than God. And what I'm telling you is it's temporary. It's a lie. Fulfillment is only found in Jesus. True fulfillment. That's why we keep, that's why, you keep chasing more. I only need this, and then you get that, and you're like, well, if I just had a little more, why? Because it's like drinking salt water. You drink the salt water. What do you need to quench your thirst? More water. And that's what's happened with us with money. It forces us to evaluate who we trust I'm encouraging, eval- encouraging you to evaluate who you trust and what you value by what you sacrifice. He 
evaluate who you trust and what you value by what you're willing to sacrifice. Another text that we find, uh, Luke chapter 12. Just go back a few chapters. Luke chapter 12, it tells us in verse 13 through 21. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? It means his barns are already full, right? He's like, well... I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I'm going to store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Automatically, here's someone in the crowd calling out saying, teacher. And often what we find with Christ is you find a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, someone wanting to question Jesus. Some of the time they wanted to trap him um, and kind of say, hey, where is this guy going? Um, Blasphemy type of thing, whatever it might be. But here's someone who I think is not necessarily wanting to trap him. They're wanting to bring Jesus into the mix in order to get what they want. And so he jumps in, and, and here's this question that's on the page, and it's, I think, a bit even unexpected. And it's because this man is greedy, and he wants Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him, even in the midst of all these different kind of rules that, that were in existence with the families of the time in terms of if you're a firstborn or a secondborn and all of these different things. He wanted more for self. And, of course, Jesus, being Jesus, he takes his question that was presented and asked of him, and he uses it to teach everybody around him. This is what Jesus is so good at doing. He takes a question, and he says, hey, I can use this. And he says to the crowd, this is his response. Here's this guy. Tell this guy to give me more. That's what he's saying in actuality. And Jesus says, oh, man, be on your guard against every form of greed. Because automatically... He's looking at this guy going, it doesn't matter what he gives. You're going to want more and more and more probably, right? That's what our heart does. Why? Because it's tied to the wrong thing. And he says, be on your guard against every form of greed. He's telling them to provide vigilance. Against every form of greed. And what it does is it's forcing the reader to examine how much value they place on possessions. So here's a farmer who does really well. Barns are overflowing, so what's he do? He builds larger barns. And according to today, here's a guy who would have been incredibly just successful. Like that guy. Right? Wow, look at him. But Jesus said, oh, wait a second. 
And it was about value. It never says having is wrong, but it's really about value. And you have to be willing to examine your own heart. That's what, Have conversations about money. Ask each other questions like, hey, how much value is it to you really? Like, what priority do you place on money? Is it of the greatest value? Is God of the greatest value? Is, is your marriage of greatest value? Whatever it is, ask yourself the question. Force yourself to ask one another, what does that look like? Between the services, somebody said, yeah, we just need to ask more questions. That's what you always say. I said, great, do you tithe? He's like, Listen, I, I, I didn't mean right now, <laughs> right? But if we're brothers, let's, let's talk about it. Now, you need to know, I don't know anything that anybody gives in this church, nor do I want to know. Now, if you're coming under leadership, I'm going to ask you, and I will because I think it's important, right? I'm going to say, I need to know if you tithe. I need to know because it's different than just being nice to people and giving away your money versus giving back to God for what he is wanting to accomplish in this place and within his church. And we need to be on our guard and ask ourselves, what are our priorities? What do we value the most? Because when we evaluate money, it typically comes down to being used in one of two ways. Either money is a, a resource, a tool that we have in order to further God, or it's typically a God that we serve. And, and I'll tell you, money makes a horrific God, but a wonderful tool. Right? And so we, we have to evaluate that. Ask yourself that question. Is money, go to lunch today. Isn't that cool? Go to lunch and ask this. Is money for you a God or a tool? And which one is it? And no matter what your friend says, then say, well, tell me why that is. And how can it be more of a, of a, of a tool rather than a God? You fool, he says, verse 20, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Instead of rejoicing in what God had already done, he only wanted God to do more. And he struggled with contentment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says the following, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Um, one translation says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. The other translation says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. There's a wonderful quote. I don't know who said it. I don't know he, who he or she is. But there's a great quote that I found. It says, your job is what you do. Your possessions are what you temporarily have. Your character is who you are. We're all on a journey of Transformation. Here at Chapel Point, we're transformed followers of Jesus. And we, we respond to being transformed followers of Jesus by passionately responding to God, being rooted in prayer in the Bible, and equipping disciples, right? That's how we respond to it. But we're transformed, and we know that transformation comes as a continual process, not a one-time event. 
And we have a, a lot of you are, are walking a journey right now of trying to figure out where you are in your spiritual growth and your transformation. One of you that's in that place and that is growing in tremendous ways is the Holtink family. And I want to give you an opportunity to watch part of the video right now. Later this week, you're going to have all of this video that online that's going to be presented to you. And you'll have that opportunity to simply be encouraged by it. But this is one of the ways that he and his family, Amanda his, his, is his wife, the, one of the ways that they've grown. And so I want to invite you right now to take a look at this video before you. There's a moment where I was having coffee with you and Todd Cox, and God used the two of you on that day to just break down walls that were in my life that were built on pride and fear. And I certainly didn't want to address them that day, but there we were. And finances was a small part of that, but it was significant enough that I remember a moment where you set your coffee down and you finally said, you're afraid of being found out. You're, you're afraid of being found out that you don't tithe, that you don't give back, that you compartmentalize your money and keep it separate from God. And I'll never forget that was humbling and probably a little frustrating, but there was some freedom in that realization. A couple months after that, um, CP, as one of their learning experiences, offered the Crown Financial class, which was outstanding. It took it with Amanda, which I would highly recommend taking it with your spouse. So right now, we, I mean, we continue to budget, we continue to tithe. Um, we've brought our children into that as well. So they get a small allowance every week and we're teaching them the principles of saving and giving back to the church. And it's small, but to them it's, impactful and to us it's impactful it's very humbling how quickly life changes in an hour you're at work and then an hour later you're in your living room processing with your wife what are our next steps? What do we have to do? Um, I think it's very easy and dangerous to internalize and <clears throat> make it all about me or us and push God out of it. And I gotta tell you, one of the first things we did was pray together. It was huge. So what does the Markulty of 2019. Yes. What would you tell the Mark Holtink of 2015? Very simply, embrace obedience. Because you've been hearing about obedience since you could say the word. And you've done nothing with it for most of your life. So embrace it and let go of the fear and the pride that holds you back from doing so. Because if we're going to become obedient in any area of our lives, right? 
chances are we're gonna have to give up something that we are accustomed to, that it was important to us, that maybe we're being convicted on. And as soon as we embrace obedience, I think my fear was, I'm gonna have to get rid of something that I love. And the bottom line is Jesus is greater and whatever void in my warped and twisted sinful mind is trying to justify, right? Whatever void that I'm trying to justify, that's refilled with Jesus. And there is a freedom in that, especially with money. Because money can chain us down in multitude of ways. And you, I love the phrase, embrace obedience. Absolutely. Two of my favorite words. Yeah. Um, and really, if you take that, you process it, mm-hmm. embrace Jesus. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, you're willing to trust Him. Right. Right? And you're willing to obey Him because you trust Him. Mm-hmm. And you know that Isaiah 55, right? We've been talking about yep. it the entire series. His ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. I trust Him. I love Him. Embrace Him. He's worth it. We love you. We can't wait to be more of church with you. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Because that is God's church. This is Chapel Point. And we are thrilled to be brothers and sisters in Christ with you. Much of it is about embracing Jesus. Money's money. It's about the heart. I asked Mark, and again later this week, you're going to be able to have an opportunity to see this in its entirety, but and and that transformation story. But I said, okay, so this last July, you lost your job. You just got a job three weeks ago. I just want to know, did you keep tithing during the midst of that? He goes, oh yeah. And did, did, did you catch the part where he said the first thing they did together, sitting in their living, living room, is what? They prayed. It's about the heart. You see, giving, what you're willing to give, guys, again, it just reflects your relationship with God. It's just a reflection of it. And if you think God continually owes you more, Here's, God could remove everything I have, and he is still worthy of my praise. I could lose everything I have, and God is still worthy of my worship. It's a matter of the heart. So Luke 12, he says in this passage, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? See, one of the things that happens is we discover, you personally, we, we discover what 
we value by what we are willing to sacrifice. We discover, you discover what we value by what we are willing to sacrifice. And for the mature believer, it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. But even as a church, and I want to speak to you a little bit about our church. And you're probably going to hear more right now about a church's finances than ever before. We're an open book with it. Um, Just four or five years ago, um, this church was just right next door. Um, The weekly budget was uh, right around $16,000 a week. And it had... um, a debt of two and a half million dollars, two point four million. That's one of the things that called, jumped off the page to me. I was like, okay, really small budget for their size, and I'm going, okay, what? How do we? God, we need you to work, and God worked. Within a few years, that God paid off that debt, and that cool, two and a half million dollars gone. Um, God continued to bless and do some amazing things around here. As a result of that, we started. Uh, this campaign and say, God is wanting us to grow. And I know some of you are going, I hear it every week, we built too small. Um, I've told the congregational gathering before, we did not build too small. We built what God wanted us to do. We'll add another service, but then after that, our plan is just, we're going to be sending people all over the place. We're good. And in the midst of that, we took on about a $9.5 million debt. And already after being in this building for about seven months, that $9.5 million is already at $6.6 million. Right? The budget was that was just a few years ago. Sixteen thousand is now at forty-three thousand dollars a week, Um, and this next year it's going to be fifty-six thousand dollars a week. And you're going, well, that's a thirty percent increase. And guess what? We've added just over thirty percent in people in the last year. It's crazy. And at that point, we'll still be about average for our size at that point. But God has taken something um, and just said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to renew it. I'm going to do such a mighty thing here. Just hold on. And when I first came, I remember talking to you guys and saying, you just need to hold on. Watch God work. And I'm the one who's been holding on the whole time. (laughs) Right? It's just amazing to see God work and to, to see God move. One of the things that we're looking at doing is uh, you're going to be presented in the future. We're we're building a five-year financial plan as a church. And you're going, well, why does a church need a five-year financial plan? Um, It has nothing to do with fear whatsoever. We know that the culture around us is changing, by the way, if you can't tell. At some point, whether it be in a couple years or in six years, something like that, I I firmly believe we're probably going to lose tax-exempt status on property tax. And I know how to do math. We know how to make a phone call and say, how much is that going to be here? And in the midst of a recession or in the midst that we'll hit at some point again, in the midst of something that happens financially, and in the midst of so many ministries, as soon as that happened, they were thinking that the average church, which 4,000 churches will close their churches this year, their doors this year, 4,000 in America. All right? They say that number will at least double as soon as that happens. And what I'm saying is, no, God has called us to too much. We're going to be ready for it. We're going to be prepared. There's going to be a five-year plan where we have no debt in five years with a place where when other churches are going, we're going to close. We're going to go, no, you're not. You have too much to do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will help you. We will partner with you. We don't need Chapel Point in the name of the building. We need Jesus on the front of the building. 
And so as a result of that, we're looking at partnering. We're starting a network. And um, dear friends are becoming the pastors of the local churches. And we're wanting to partner together. I'm encouraging you now to pray for the Steve Gibsons at Wellspring or, or the Greg Vandermeers down the street at Fairhaven or the West Dupins at Daybreak or the Josh Tovies at Redemption or the Keone Hughes at Grace uh, Community. Well, whoever it is, I'm, I'm encouraging you to pray for them because they are brothers in Christ. And we have a lot of people to reach with the gospel. And so as a church, all of a sudden, we're looking at what it looks like to really say, you know what, could God use us? And this is a prayer of Chapel Point. This is a prayer that I have, that God could use us to shred the territorialism apart amongst believers today to create a renewal and a revival and an entire region to serve as a catalyst to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When, again, come on. Like what, Right? God is using you as his church to do phenomenal things. Absolutely staggering things. The pace is just mind-numbing at times, but it is God-ordained. And you're going, Why do you, what, what's with the 56000 a week? Well, one, as you already know, we, we give roughly three times back to missions as the average church in America. I say it all the time because it still blows my mind. Average church gives back 8%. We give away 23. Part of it is being able to pay for this because you do have a monthly payment, right? But we wanna have a, we're going to share a plan later on that says let's get rid of this debt quickly so that we can just move forward in the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of it's personnel, about half of it. And I tell you what, some people don't want to pay people. I, you, um, I'm telling you now, the staff here is phenomenal. I'm regularly having to tell them to go home. You can't work this much. Please go home. And then they look at me and they get smart and they say, how about you? And I go, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) You have an amazing team of people who love Jesus so much in this place. It's our greatest resource is our people because God says it is. And so we're inviting you to partner with us. Because it's about the heart. It's a matter of the heart. In fact, when you leave today, you're going to be given a card. And it doesn't, here's one of the things it doesn't ask you for, your name. It doesn't ask you for your name. But we're asking um, for some information from you. And we're going to collect these cards December 8th. The next couple of weeks, we're going to be giving them out. And we're asking for you to have conversations with family and friends, um, with with the people you give with to say, hey, this is where we are. And this is what it says. You'll be able to see it. It looks just like this. And it says, transform followers of Jesus. And it's going to say, I or we, some give as a family, some give individually. You currently give that a week, month, or annually, that percentage or that amount. Knowing that the average church person gives $17 a week. All right? And then it says, I, we are choosing to trust God. Trust. It's all about trust. Trust, trust, trust what you value. Choosing to trust God by giving this or that weekly, monthly, or annually. And what we're asking at the bottom is we're asking for you to commit to join with us by giving regularly, tithing. Will you tithe? Even if you're in debt, whatever, I still think you should tithe no matter what. God will honor that. God will honor that. God will honor that. We're asking for you to tithe for the first, at least the first three months of 2020. I haven't done the numbers, but I'm guessing if everybody in this church tithed the first three months, our budget would already be met. It's 
crazy to think about. 37% give nothing. Now that's national. I know that's not true here. But I go, what would it look like to be able to submit these cards and say, we're in this together. We want to partner together as this church is trying to do some pretty radical things, not to further our name, but to further his name. Would you partner with us? And so as we look at this, we're asking that you pray about this because, again, it's not about the money. It's about your heart. And some will say, well, you don't know. I've been a part of churches, and they don't always spend money. In the... we, we all make mistakes. You will never hear anybody in this church go, we are without mistake. <laughs> but I can tell you this about the leadership of this church. They are earnest to be obedient to God. And God is using you to do more than you know. Would you partner with us? God, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I give you thanks for all that you're doing. I celebrate who you are, your power and your love. God, we know what we're willing to sacrifice depends on how much, it's dependent upon how much we value that, that we're sacrificing for. And yet you value us so much that you sacrificed your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're worthy of our worship. Everything we have is yours. Our children are yours, God. Our grandchildren are yours, God. Our money, it's yours, God. It's all yours, our homes, our vehicles, our clothes, everything, oh God. No matter what you take from me, you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of worship, and we give you thanks. Amen.